Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Professor Stefano Zaffanini from the Rizzoli Institute in Bologna, Italy. Professor Zaffanini was the senior author of the manuscript entitled A Comparison Between Polyurethane and Collagen Meniscal Scaffold for Partial Meniscal Defects, Similar Positive Clinical Results at a Mean of 10 Years of Follow-Up, which was published in the September of 2021 of Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, Professor Zaffanini, and thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for your uh, interest in this paper. Really, very yeah, much. Certainly interesting. I don't have much experience with these scaffolds, but it seems like certainly you do, and you're the expert, so we're excited to talk with you about it. So can you just give us a little bit of background on how you became interested in these scaffolds and their current role in your practice? My experience started very, very early in 1996 when uh, with Rodke and Stedman uh, there was uh, developed the first uh, European study about uh, the CMI. So the collagen meniscus implant that was the first uh, scaffold available in that time. And uh, we started to do the, this uh, multicentric study in Europe. And uh, for, from this study, I became interested in this type of device because uh, uh, I have very much interest in uh, trying to, to try to save as much as we can the meniscus or maybe to replace the meniscus when it's already been removed. And that's why I started very early and I never stopped to use this scaffold. So actually I have now done a, a review of my cases and I have more than uh, 250 CMI implanted in my, in my life. So <laughs> I probably have probably one of the best experience in the world about this. Yeah, I think that has to be certainly the biggest experience in the world. And like you mentioned, preserving anatomy like uh, Dr. Fu taught us both is, is certainly our goal. Can you give yeah. us a brief uh, background of your study and a summary and what it adds to the literature? Like you mentioned, you have such an experience. So first of all, this uh, paper evaluated two types of scaffolds. So the first that is CMI and the second one that is polyurethane that uh, became available later in uh, in 2000, I don't forget when, but uh, I start to use also the, the, new, the new scaffold. And uh, this is the first study that uh, give uh, the results uh, with more than 10 years follow-up of, uh, of both cases. And uh, we, we pick up 25 cases of uh, each uh, group of patients, so between CMI and uh, polyurethane scaffold. And we compare, this is a retrospective study, but we match the patient for age and sports activity and so on. And we evaluate at more than 10 years follow-up the results of both the scaffold. And it was surprising to see that no difference about clinical or MRI or IKDC and VAS or Wagner we found in this time, in this both group of patients. So it's quite a good result for me. Yeah, certainly. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the different scaffolds that you mentioned, the two you compared, and a little bit about those for us that aren't as familiar and when you use maybe one or the other? 
So the CMI and Actifit has the same indication, I would say. The CMI is more natural because it, is, uh, it was the first uh, available, but it was uh, developed by uh, Stedman and uh, other group of people in the US and is made of collagen bovine. But uh, last year, Stryker, that was uh, the owner of the prototype and the, prot and the study, and the CMI at the, in the late years, they decide to stop the production of the CMI. So now it's available only the polyurethane that is uh, made of uh, polyurethane, like uh, the valvule of uh, cardiac valvule, and uh, is uh, not natural, but is only artificial, and uh, it can be absorbable uh, with a longer uh, time. And so it's a little bit different. But uh, technically speaking, I would say that both are, uh, I would say the CMI that is uh, collagen is a little bit more soft and uh, you have to be very careful in the technique that is quite uh, difficult, especially in the fixation part. And then uh, the, the Actifit has, uh, is more spongy and it can be more easy to suture with the fixation and so it's become more easy technically speaking so this is the difference with between the two scaffolds you know the, your experience with the technique of that is really helpful so can you tell us um your ideal candidate and you know have your indications changed over the time and kind of your utilization and a little bit about your technique with these scaffolds. Yes, so the the technique has been changed uh, during the years because uh, we start with uh, uh, following the indication uh, run by the multicentric study, and around the year we saw that uh, the technique gave us uh, quite good results, and uh, therefore we enlarge a little bit the indication and non. We, we normally start doing only um, the substitution of the meniscus tissue when it was already been removed before. So after the meniscectomy was performed between uh, maybe two, three, five years before. And uh, for, to avoid uh, the, the pain that this patient has, we start uh, to implant uh, this type of uh, scaffold. And uh, the same technique is uh, we use uh, for the ActiFit. Uh, they decide that to use the ActiFit is only in relation to the easier uh, technique uh, that is uh, technically is less demanding than the CMI. And uh, the technique also has been changed during the years because uh, we start with the in-out, uh, inside-out uh, technique and uh, we have to do a incision on the medial side because we start with the medial meniscus substitution and after the 10 years it become available the lateral meniscus and uh, the activity instead the polyurethane scaffold became available for medial and lateral at the same time but as i say the indication for both technique is very similar and uh, the technique instead has been changed as i said uh, we start with inside-out technique, but uh, after they become available, the all-inside technique, 
we want to avoid the incision that can be a little bit uh, more difficult for uh, return to daily life activity for both uh, people and so we decide to go for all inside and uh, at the end now we do only all inside technique available in our end so we normally do uh, fixing the um, the scaffold and then we do a, um, a suturing that is between the uh, the tissue of the donor of the recipient and uh, the scaffold and on the other way because uh, our indication is uh, really a substitution of partial meniscectomy so normal most of the time is the posterior horn that has been uh, changed and that has been removed and so we replace this part of the menisci and uh, the results are really very nice because we have uh, about uh, 85% of patients that have uh, really good results uh, even at uh, so long long follow up and uh, really if you put something between the two bone is definitely a good help for the joint and uh, maybe at the beginning they can have a little bit of more pain and the but the results at the end after maybe six months are really very interesting and they stay for a long time i have patients that uh, 10 years they still do training uh, with uh, soccer and so on so it's really interesting results Right. That was another question I wanted to ask you um, compared with allograft. And, you know, some people have discussed segmental allograft transplantations. Are you restricting your patients' activities? Or are you letting them get back to all the running, cutting activities as, as they would want? So the, I haven't experienced about the, the meniscal transplantation, segmental meniscal transplantation, because uh, my idea is the indication is different. So the meniscus allograft is more indicated for really a complete removal of the meniscus and uh, especially of the lateral side. And they are very, it's difficult to have uh, the scaffold to replace completely the menisci because then you will go to fail because also the suturing of all the device completely is quite difficult. And uh, I wouldn't go for this, the, the tissue that uh, guarantees the meniscal uh, allograft is much more strong and uh, more biomechanically speaking much better so for me the indication for this type of scaffold is only for segmental substitution of meniscus the there is indication definitely for uh, this type of uh, of patient and i did also uh, yesterday, I did one cases of uh, ActiFit because uh, I have to replace an uh, anterior horn of lateral menisci in a patient that has uh, still the posterior horn, and it, it works very well. So it's quite easy. For me now, it's quite easy. It takes 20 minutes to do a meniscus scaffold. So Wow, that's great. Do you have any uh, uh, explanations or thoughts? Is there a, a time when the defect becomes too large where you think that the scaffold is not appropriate? Yeah, there is uh, some uh, concern when there is uh, a completely absence of the, of the rim of the menisci 
So then it's become a little bit more tough to fix the, the scaffold. And uh, especially on the lateral side, on the posterior horn, the tissue can become a little bit more uh, uh, soft. And so it's difficult to fix the meniscus. And uh, my secret is on lateral side to fix the scaffold on the popliteus tendon. And uh, for me is uh, one of the key points that I, is the first that I do. And then I go to to go back and forth and forward to fix the, the rest of the scaffold. And I return to your previous question about the return to sport. For this type of, um, of a scaffold, the indication is to allow to have a return to normal activity and normal working activity without having symptoms of uh, swelling or uh, uh, pain. But uh, obviously, you cannot uh, force the people to, to stay away from uh, doing some sports. So my suggestion to them is not to, to return to really cutting sports, but in, sometimes I have patients that do skiing, they do running, they play tennis and so on. And this it lasts for maybe 10 years. And this is uh, definitely you gain some time for this type of patient that otherwise they will, will go to a degenerative changes of their joint. Yeah, right. That's a great point. Have you noticed any issues with synovitis or any reactions? I know you've published on uh, multiple studies and it seems like this is fairly safe and benign implant. I would say that for CMI, definitely there is no issue of synovitis and so on. And I never seen anything because it's collagen bovine and um, it's really... It maybe you can have a reabsorption of the device slowly, and you have in the first two years you have a little bit decrease of the size of the uh, tissue that remains there. But definitely, if you go to see the MRI at 10 years, you have a result that uh, you see a very black sky again. So when they go slowly and the results maybe are. Uh, compliance with the rehabilitation, then the results are really interesting. For the scaffold of polyurethane that is completely artificial, what I can say is that from the MRI point of view, the, the scaffold remains the same and it stays there. But for me, what I can say, it remains a little bit less dark than the CMI. So even at 10 years, the, we saw the, 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 the polyurethane scaffold, but the probably is related to the fact that it's polyurethane and it's not the collagen. It's remained a little bit less, less dark than the CMI, but uh, the results are really the same. And even the failure are the same because we have uh, in this series, we have a five and five patients for each group. That is about 21% of failure at 10 years. That is a good, interesting result. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Can you tell us a little bit about the reoperations? You know, certainly with allograft, it's common to have to do a debridement. Uh, can you tell us about that and about your revision scenarios? Yes. So the patient that we have to remove, uh, we have uh, 
very few that go to to TKA or uni unini. We have just, uh, I think, one cases and one cases that uh, they receive uh, TKA or uh, unini. But uh, the, for the rest, we have one cases of uh, infection that uh, probably was related to the technique and not to, to the scaffold. And then we have uh, some that become uh, failure and uh, because maybe you have a, a defect in the fixation so of the scaffold. And so there remain a little bit of fragment that move inside the joint and then you have to do an arthroscopy to remove. But after you remove uh, the part that is mobile, then you have no problem at all. So this is uh, the, the complication that you can have. We don't have, uh, we haven't seen any synovitis, as I say, or any fibrotic. So you don't have really to do mobilization because maybe you, you we are a little bit aggressive on rehabilitation. And we don't allow weight bearing for one month. We allow, uh, we stay, the first week they stay in extension with brace. But after this, I allow to do flexion at least uh, until 90 degree for the first uh, three weeks. And after the third weeks, I allow complete uh, weight, um, complete uh, range of motion. And we allow partial weight bearing starting from the 30 days. And after 45 days, we allow partial, complete uh, weight bearing. So after 45 days, the patient can return to normal activity or can walk and you can do some uh, uh, work even. So it's not so difficult on rehab, but in this case, with this type of uh, rehab, we have good results. Yeah, I wanted to also ask you about that. That's interesting. Yeah, certainly people getting back to things quicker is always beneficial. How does that a rehab compare to what you use for a typical allograft meniscal transplant? Is it similar timeline? It's similar timeline because even for my for my meniscus transplant, I normally do no weight bearing for 30 days and then partial weight bearing for 45 until the 45 days. And after I allow complete weight bearing, and I do the same for both techniques. So there is no difference. And uh, at the beginning, we allowed this patient to do a lot of CPM machine, but now I reduce the the time of the CPM because in certain cases I found that you have this patient have more swelling, and so I want to remove the swelling. And um, you see, if you do less CPM, the patients stay better for me. So they have to return to normal activity as soon as they can. That's interesting about the CPM and certainly uh, good to know. You mentioned before your trick about the implant through the popliteal tendon. Um, Can you tell us more about that? Are you typically doing that with your other allografts and your meniscal repairs? And have you found any issues with putting the implant through the pop and any other uh, thoughts about specifications about getting it uh, stabilized initially in the medial side? So the stabilization of the medial side, it depends on the amount of uh, defect that you have to replace with the scaffold. And uh, about allograft, I normally do, on the medial side, I try to do a sort of 
fixation of the menisci to avoid also the extrusion. So normally I start from the posterior part. I do my tunnel for the posterior horn. Then I introduce the, the meniscus allograft and I start suturing from the back. And when I arrive at the medial side, I do a small incision and I fix with suture anchor with a sort of Arthrex device that allow to have a fixation really at the rim of the medial from the, the part of the menisci that uh, from the posterior horn go to the central part. And there I put a point there. And then I continue to do my suturing at the, the, at the anterior part. And then I do the second tunnel for the anterior horn. So my anterior horn is done at the end. And in this case, I normally do the all with all inside the suturing. And uh, for the meniscus scaffold, it's easier because uh, you have uh, the posterior rim of the menisci that is left. I normally try to fix, uh, to put the meniscus uh, scaffold in the defect that I prepare in order to have a sort of uh, a tissue on front and on back of the meniscus scaffold that we use. And so I can use, uh, I can put suturing uh, at, the, uh, at the back between the normal tissue and the scaffold. Then I go to the front and I fix in front from the scaffold to the anterior horn of the natural tissue. And then normally it depends on the size, but normally it takes just another uh, all inside technique that I normally do horizontal. So, but this uh, depends on the also of the capacity that you have to have a good uh, view of the scaffold, especially on the medial side that is more difficult when you have a very tight knee, and then in this case, you can do a pie crusting of the MCL in order to have a better view and a better capacity to working, because otherwise it becomes very tough. On the lateral side is much easier, and as I say, I normally do, even for the lateral meniscus allograft, I do my posterior tunnel, then I, I put insert the meniscus and then I fix the first on the popliteus so I can have a, already an idea if my scaffold size is perfectly matching with the, with the recipient. And then I continue to do my suturing to fix all the meniscus. And this is my way to do. And for the scaffold is the same. You have to try to have a part of tissue that stay in front and back of the of the scaffold in order to have but normally my sizing is about three centimeter or three four centimeter maximum of my meniscus scaffold this is my size normally and i can do with three or four suture depending i don't do too much suturing because if you put too much suture in the meniscus scaffold, you can have a breakage of the scaffold, and then you have a loose scaffold, and then you start. You have to start from the beginning, and maybe you have to use another implant. And this has become very tough and very costly. Don't use too yeah. much suturing, because otherwise you have a, a breakage of the scaffold. Those are great tips. Thanks for that. Tell us your thoughts, you know, with allograft, uh, people talk about alignment and too much cartilage wear. What are your 
uh, indications and thoughts with the scaffold. Is that different than uh, meniscal allograft? Yes, for both technique, uh, I for the scaffold, I normally don't go more than uh, three degree outer bridge because uh, in this case it will be it will be really reabsorbed by the bone that uh, if you have a grade four outer bridge, uh, the scaffold will fail for sure. So in this case, I know I know I don't do any more scaffold. Because we try to do this, we try to enlarge the indication, but then we found that when we do in this case, we have a failure. And so we stopped to do this type of uh, procedure. But for the meniscus allograft, I would say that I have a great experience even in patients uh, over 50 years old. And also, I have just operated yesterday, I did uh, two meniscus transplant yesterday, and uh, they were one lady of 21 years old that he has a very bad grade four on the lateral meniscus. Completely grade four. What you do in a 21 years old? You do a uni? Never. For me, never. And so I have put a meniscus transplant. It works very nicely. And it covered in part the, the, the bone because it was bone on bone, really. It was terrible. And the same for the other patient that I did. 43 years old, but 43 years old in a young patient, why you have to replace with a, with a prosthesis? When you have this possibility to have an implant that can maybe save the, the joint and the, and the patient for more than 10 years. And then for me, it's better. I normally do, even on grade four now, for some cases, and in this case, if you have also changing of uh, alignment that is too much after, if they are more than three degree of varus or valgus, you normally I try to uh, put also the osteotomy in varus or valgus. Excellent insight. Appreciate all their explanations. We appreciate your time today. Uh, we think we're running out of time, so thank you for speaking to us all the way from from Italy, and your expertise is certainly unmatched for the rest of the world. So thank you, Dr. Professor Zaffanini. Thank you to you, and thank you to arthroscopy, and uh, let's stay in touch, okay? Thank you so much. Ciao. Ciao. Professor Zaffanini's article titled, A Comparison Between Polyurethane and Collagen Meniscal Scaffold for Partial Meniscal Defects, Similar Positive Clinical Results at a Mean of 10 Years of Follow-Up, is published in the September 2021 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal and is available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thank you for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. (laughs) 